Yes, that is absolutely right. You get a touchdown. You get a touchdown. We all get touchdowns. The Eagles were absolutely trounced this weekend in New Orleans, but Jimmy Buckets proved that he was more than worth it. Plus, Temple shows that they are the hottest football team in Philly. Plus, we have Philly pros. We have the return of Minute to Win It and a new segment called Now You Know. A lot in store for you tonight on Flying High, but first send requests, play us in. All right, Justin, uh, I, I want to open up this episode real quick by, by telling a story. Um, so one, a, one night after a Temple football game, I came home, and after Temple football games, you're very hungry. Um, so there was a Chinese place right across the street. I got some Chinese food, and I was notorious for eating Chinese on my bed. So I laid down, and I went to town on my General So's chicken, and before I could finish it, I actually fell asleep. And I woke up the next morning and I had rolled all over the box of Chinese food and just squished it all. But that that Chinese food was not as flat as the Eagles team that came out to play this weekend in New Orleans. That is the worst performance I've seen out of an Eagles team in I don't even know how long. It's just it's embarrassing. It's it's despicable. It's just where do we even begin? What is going on? What are you doing? It was almost like you went out to eat with your family and you, like you ended up getting just like beat up in the parking lot of like a Chili's. You know what I mean? Like it was just it was just one of those it was just a completely disturbing performance. Like I don't I don't have any other way of of describing what that was that we watched yesterday. I feel like we've been saying the same thing for the past four weeks. Like, I don't know what we watched yesterday and it just, it just keeps getting worse. It's, it's so bad. I mean, we're going to get into it, but my goodness, that was just a parking lot beat down of epic proportions. I mean, you know, a 48 to 7 just absolute blowout and there was never really a moment where uh it felt like we had any legitimate chance of competing. The yards weren't even comparable. 546 to 196. How are you outgained that badly? I understand there's some injuries and New Orleans is the hottest offense in the league, but as the defending Super Bowl champ, you just got embarrassed by Dallas at home. You're coming out trying to defend your season, and you can't even put up 200 total yards. It's just, it absolutely blows my mind. No, it was, it was, it was, it was a nightmare, man. I mean, it was, it was everything you look. We we knew, I think, coming into this game that we kind of both said we thought the Eagles were going to lose this game, and I think a lot of educated fans. If you had asked them before going into this game, I think a lot of them would have said, you know, yeah, it's gonna, it would be great to get a win. It's, anything can happen in the NFL. But like the Saints, we kind of knew we weren't going to win this game. I think a lot of people were looking forward to uh, the next game against the Giants as like the next real winnable game. But still, come out and have some fight. I mean, God, you just got 
just totally steamrolled in this game. And it's just every week, this coaching staff looks more and more unprepared, more and more over in over their heads. And then the players, they just looked overmatched. They just continue to look overmatched, indifferent. Uh, man, I, and I know, I know there's injuries. I know, trust me. I, I know you got, I know you've got practice squad guys out there playing in the secondary. Trust me, that's not lost on me. But you were outscored 190 to 15 in terms of yardage in the first quarter. Are you that's kidding a, that, me? <laughs> that's absolutely like that is the one thing that I noticed more than anything in the broadcast. Uh, I was watching the game. Monday, so I listened to a little bit of it on the ride home from a golf tournament in Hilton Head, but I didn't get to see it live. So I know the score. I go into the game knowing that we got killed, and somehow I am still absolutely shocked and mind blown at the fact that we put up 15 yards in they've one been, quarter. They've been blanked in eight. Where's the stat? They've been blanked in eight of their first 10 quarters so far this year. Eight of their first 10. And compared to last season, uh, the time they spent trailing through the first nine games of the season in 2017, they trailed for a total of 60 minutes. I'm sorry, 64 minutes and 58 seconds. This year, they've trailed for 239 minutes and 21 seconds. You can't jump out to a lead ever with this team. It just doesn't happen. No, and I think that um, my level of concern about the franchise has ramped up considerably. I think coming into this game, you know, we both weren't super happy about how they played against the Jags. We knew that we knew that I think we both agreed that we just we needed to see them get to, I don't know, nine and seven. That's all we really needed to win this division. And then we we both felt that they they could do that. Um, and that was probably more likely than getting 10 and six. But this this team might not win a game the rest of the season. I mean, let's be honest. With what we just saw yesterday, I have a really hard time finding on the schedule a win for this team. How are they going to beat the Giants? How are they going to beat Washington? And I know Washington is in dire straits right now, and we're going to talk about that too. But where do you find a win for this team on the, on the rest of the schedule? I mean, just watching the way that uh, Ingram and Kamara, I know that they're a great rushing attack, but I, I personally think that Saquon Barkley is better than either of those guys. So I think Saquon could single-handedly beat up on the birds next week, and this offense is no longer existing. So even a crappy defense such as the Giants could possibly defend them. There's there's no attack anywhere in the offense. Uh it's just it's an and and it's an open door on defense. Justin, do you know what the over under was this weekend? Uh, I don't off the top of my head. So, so I I have a fun fact here. The over under was fifty six point five. The Saints the Saints put up forty eight points, and it still hits as the under because the Eagles can't score a measly eight point five points. Wow. I mean, yeah, and I know that the line was nine uh, for the Saints going into it was seven and a half. Then it went to nine and then it went back to seven and a half before the game. So I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what odds makers were looking at that made them dial it back a little bit. But I bet you they were they were uh, 
you know, kind of wishing they had kept it at nine. I mean, when you have the when you have the could have been MVP last season, and probably the best tight end in football, up for debate. But I would like to say that he's up there in the top three for certain. Those two guys alone should be able to put up more than eight point five points to ensure that we hit that over. And and the Saints, you know, if they had one more possession, they very well could have hit that on their own. And obviously the defense is beat up, but it starts once again with coaching and questionable play calling. You know, this team came out flat again. They, they came out flat. There's just no jump there. There's no fire. I, I, I don't know what happened to this team, but it's so it's super concerning. And that's coaching. We talked about this before that that's coaching. Uh, Doug, is responsible for getting this team ready to play on Sunday, and they just are not ready. I don't know if the message. I don't know if the message is getting lost in there. I don't know if these guys just smelled themselves after the Super Bowl. And but it's, something is just very, very wrong in that locker room. It's broken, and it's not going to get fixed before the end of the season. Let's let's be honest. This, this season is mostly done. I think by what we've seen the evidence that we have to go by with what we just saw on the field yesterday. This team is all but packed it in and the coaches don't have an answer. I think Doug is saying all the right thing. He's saying what he has to basically, you know, he said that in the press conference that he, he believed that the guys battled and continue to battle throughout the game. I, I don't, I don't they know. That did I necessarily, not yeah. Battle. I don't know if I necessarily believe that to be true. That ain't true. I don't, I don't. I try. I try hard not to question effort, but you can't. T- I mean, make an argument that there was effort out there with that. With that. With that. What they put on the field yesterday. I mean, try to make an argument. I, I'd. I'd love for someone to try to make an argument that that team didn't pack it in after the first half yesterday, or even the first quarter. I mean, we sound like a broken record every week, saying that this team's disappointing us that they're not performing well enough, that they're not giving the right effort, and that it starts with the coaching. And with Doug saying that this team continues to battle, he sounds like a broken record that we can no longer believe. And I don't want to put it all on Doug's shoulders because there is so much blame to spread. But I think finally that I am understanding that they did not focus enough on defending in the offseason. I think it starts in the offseason, and while Doug was off writing a book and celebrating the victory, beating Sean Payton in a golf tournament or a golf match so they can wear the green uniforms in this game, and then just getting absolutely stomped on by the team, Doug was not focused enough and hungry enough in the offseason to prepare this team and work to be better than last season. He wrote a book, though, you know, so there is that. He's got more money. Wonderful. Yeah. I'd like to know what the score of that golf match, though, was because Sean Payton was was clearly like I actually I think texted my brother at one point. I was like, is Sean Payton a jerk? Because I can't figure out if he's like a total jerk right now. I didn't use the word jerk, but uh, I'm going to keep it PG here. But I was like, this dude it isn't going to stop. And I, I saw something on ESPN where the two running backs, Kamara and Ingram, did like a duo press conference together, or not press conference, but just um, interviews at their lockers. And they were saying that they needed to hand it to the Super Bowl champs, and that's why they gave it to him so hard because it's the Super Bowl champs, and we had to show them. And I must say, 
they more than showed us this week. Yeah, I mean, you're the you're the champs, and you're going to have the target on your back. You need to expect that, and and I think Doug pretty much echoed those sentiments. Sentiments. I mean, he said if he was on the other side of the ball, he would have done the same thing. So, um, it was just kind of telling to me that you know he kept Breeze in there when they were up for they were up by 31 points, and they were still chucking the rock and going for it on you know fourth down and stuff like that. It was just uh, yeah, he was starting to get like okay, guy, we get it. Like you're you're a really good team. We're we're not going to win this game. Maybe you put Teddy Bridgewater in now. Yeah, and for, the crazy part was in all of this negativity and how really we never stood a chance in this game. At one point, the score is 17 to nothing and Josh Adams breaks off a touchdown run. We're all excited. Josh Adams did something. Our running game finally scored. And then we make a stop after that touchdown. So we have the ball back. It's 17 to 7 and we're kind of driving. All right. So this is the one part of the game where we might actually have a chance. And then on third and three, they bring the pressure and give up a humongous sack. Uh, Zach Ertz was actually wide open, had Carson had enough time to throw the ball, but he really didn't have enough time to throw the ball. And with that, the game was over. At that point, it was officially over. I think I agree with that. I, I think maybe I, I I wonder if I had texted you at that point, but I was screaming at the TV. Um, I was before the play actually happened. I was screaming at Doug to run the ball. I was like, please run the ball. Please run the ball. Josh Adams just just started to gash that team. He just scored a touchdown. You know, run the ball, Doug. It's third and three. And I just knew in the back of my mind he was going to pass. And what does he do? He, he drops Carson back. Stephen Wisniewski gets beat like a redheaded stepchild. And Carson takes a 10-yard loss. And you're just like, I mean, come on, dude. Everybody in the Superdome knew that that was coming. Like, come on. It's just there's no creative play calling whatsoever. That's the thing that I think surprises me the most is that Doug, it's just not the same. And you have to ask yourself. I actually don't think we can even ask ourselves. Man, I think it's a it's an absolute fact that this team misses Frank Reich. There is no doubt about it anymore. I don't think we can question it. I think it's all but a certainty at this point that Frank Reich is the missing link on this team right now. I I, I don't think that there's any way we can debate it anymore. Absolutely, losing Reich and Filippo are both just. Clearly, huge losses. Doug doesn't seem to have what it takes to call the right plays, and Mike Grow is clearly not stepping up to the challenge as offensive coordinator. And it leads me to wonder, would Deuce Staley have done a better job? He might have whispered in Doug's ear more often that we need to run because there is no way that this team should have 12 total carries. There's not... We, we Once again, it sounds like a broken record when we say... A running back cannot get hot if they don't get 10 carries. It's understandable if you want to run some sort of running back tandem, but you have to at least distribute 30 carries if you're going to do that because two different running backs need to have at least 15 carries each for any sort of rhythm and production to come into play. No, there's nothing about the offense that is noteworthy right now that goes for the running backs that goes for the play calling that goes for Carson. There's, there's nothing that's noteworthy right now, especially from yesterday. And I think it's fair to speculate whether or not grows jobs on the line here. I think uh, it's very, 
reasonable to expect that he may end up being the scapegoat in all this. And, you know, that may not be fair to him. Maybe he wasn't ready. Uh, you know, they promoted a wide receivers coach to the, to, to the job of offensive coordinator. And he doesn't look ready. He doesn't look like he knows what he's doing back there. Uh, I, I'm surprised that Doug just flat out hasn't taken over at this point. I, I think that Doug doesn't want to do the plays though. I, I think he's, I think he's actually a better coach when he's just getting the, the team ready to play. He goes over the game scripts with the offensive coordinator in, in the days leading up to the game. He calls the first 15 plays or whatever, and then hands it off to the offensive coordinator. But the problem is the offensive coordinator is so in over his head that he's, he's killing this team. He's quite frankly killing this team. And if honestly, if they want to salvage the rest of this season, if it was me, I'd be pulling the plug on this dude now. I mean, it's nothing personal, but dude, you, this is historic levels of futility on offense and it, it just cannot continue. I mean, they're going to end up five and 11 after winning the Super Bowl. That is unbelievable. I am dead inside. Mike Rowe was not at offensive coordinator when they won that Super Bowl. So there's nothing really tying him to any sort of success. You know, there's nothing keeping him like Doug won the Super Bowl as the head coach. All right. So we give him we can't really give him any sort of leeway, but we do because he won the Super Bowl. He was part of that squad. Jim Schwartz, same deal. Obviously, people were gunning for his head. Uh, earlier in the season, but lo and behold, he gave us a Super Bowl, so he has a little bit more uh, leeway with failure. Mike Rowe was not the offensive coordinator when we won that Super Bowl. If it's not working, you need to get rid of the problem. Your problem's not your quarterback. Your problem's not the running backs who aren't getting enough carries, although it could be, but still, we haven't had enough carries to see these backs produce and even see if Josh Adams could be a solid talent. I'm not saying he's going to be a lead back. And when you give Zach Ertz three targets, it just doesn't make, nothing makes sense. I mean, you, you have Ertz getting three targets. You have a, a running back rotation that doesn't make any sense. You stop running the ball when that's the, the only thing that's working against the saints. Wentz is averaging 3.8 yards per drop back. I mean, you, a good offensive coordinator understands what's working in game. This guy just looks like he's just he's playing Madden out there. I mean, he's just playing Madden. You you that third and one, that third and three play is just gonna just gonna drive me crazy. The fact that he didn't run it there. You know what? I mean, you because because the only thing you can't do there is take a sack, right? It's third and three. I, I forget how whether or not they were in field goal range or not. It might have been a long one for Elliott, but that's indoors. So you have a chance to get to within uh, seven, even with a field goal. The only thing you can't do is take a sack that drops you out of field goal range. And that's what they do. And it's just so so disheartening. It's so disheartening, the predictability of that play. And it's just one play, but you're right. It felt like that was the game. And they were at the New Orleans 46, so they weren't really in field goal range. But taking the sack actually took them out of any sort of going for it on fourth down range. And then, to make matters even worse, Cam Johnson uh, gets running into the kicker on that uh, on that punt. 
but the sack pushed them too far back so that running into the kicker didn't even give them the first down. If they had taken an incomplete pass or a run that got stuffed, they could have gone for the punt, gotten a first down on running into the kicker, which you don't want to rely on something like that to get you the first down. You hope on third and three when Josh Adams has looked prime, maybe the best he's looked all season, he looks fierce, he's getting at least three yards per carry. In the first half, he was actually getting eight yards per carry. And they don't give him the ball on third and three. I I just don't understand. I mean, this Saints defense was is they're at the bottom of the league. I mean, they they've been they've been winning firefights this entire season. They're they're twenty eighth against the pass. So, so I mean, so all right. Looking at that stat, I can sort of understand. Okay, maybe we go with a <clears throat> a heavier pass attack. But that's you keep doing it if it's working. I mean, the fact that the offense was so inept against such a bad pass defense is I mean, it's it's alarming. I don't I'm running out of superlatives to use at this point. It's just it's alarming. There's no creativity in the offense. It's time to admit the mistake. It's time to admit that Mike Rowe is not the guy and move on, make an, make an in-season change before this thing really, before the wheels really fall off. And believe me, they're going to continue to fall off. There's, if, if you keep just saying and doing the same things, definition of insanity, nothing's going to change. This team's going to end up 5-11. and 11. They're going to get a top 10 draft pick. And you're going to be one of the worst teams in history after winning the Super Bowl. And then where is our franchise? That's, that's the question I, I actually, that's burning inside of me right now, is where is our franchise going? Because there, there's a lot of, we have a lot of needs. There's a lot of problems that we need to address right now. Offensive line, defensive end, cornerback. I mean, look at the guys who thrown out there at cornerback. You, you got me, got Chandon Sullivan, Chandler Bing's out there. You got Bugs, Bugs Bowsby out there, Bugs Bunny. And you got Crevion Bell or whatever his name is. You got Crave I mean- <laughs> Cravon LeBlanc. <laughs> Like, uh, at on, one dude. at one point, uh, Troy Aikman or Joe Buck, I forget which one, just acknowledged that the secondary at the time was Corey Graham, Trey Sullivan, Chandon Sullivan, and Trayvon LeBlanc. Like, is there no one else? That is what the secondary has come to. At the end of this season, who knows if we're getting Darby back. Sidney Jones is still a question mark. He can't seem to stay healthy whatsoever. Jalen Mills was a liability at the beginning of the season, but I must say, I don't know if we can complain about Jalen right now because he at least made one play to his seven garbage attempts where these guys are literally Swiss. They're not even Swiss cheese. They're just an empty pack of cheese that is open for the Saints to throw themselves into. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh... I have a lot of concerns about the defense. Here we are back to being concerned about the defense again. We didn't hear anything about Maddox today. I don't believe. And, you know, cause he, he went off with an injury city Jones. I mean, geez, this guy can't stay healthy. I mean, there's, there's, so there's a lot of concern there and Maddox has actually been playing, playing pretty well. So I'm hoping that his injury is not serious, but I don't know, man. I, there's there's concerns all over the place. You have practice squad guys. Now the guys that you're hoping only ever have to play in emergency situations are looking at starting. So who's behind them? I mean, Lordy, this thing could get ugly. And I mean, ugly. 
I mean, where do you go when literally every player is injured? When you don't have a secondary, are we going to start seeing backup receivers play corner? Are we going to be pulling guys from the offense to play defense? Like, where do you go? Is that what you do? I actually was thinking I, about that I earlier. I was like, know. what do you, what do you do? But like, there are guys everywhere that are not playing where they're supposed to be. I mean, even on the offense, Wisniewski had to play center for a while, and that really affected the game. I mean, there was a few bad snaps that affected the play, and that's what happens when you cannot stay healthy. Yeah, this this team has been really, really just bit hard by the injury bug this year. It's almost like everything that can can go wrong. It's like Murphy's Law. Everything that can go wrong will go wrong. And that's sort of what you're seeing with the Eagles right now. They just cannot stay healthy. And um, the de-evolution of Jason Peters, I think, is the most is also one of the most concerning things. Uh, maybe that's not the right word. The um, Oh, Lord. Now, I, I can't remember. I had a good word for it earlier, but just he's you're just you're starting he's to see the wear, the oh, wear yeah, he's diminishing. on him. He's yeah, you're, you're it's all I don't know if he has any football left after this year. I mean, he, he got beat. He's getting beat bad week in and week out. And the, I think the guy's giving you everything he can possibly give you. There's nearly not much you can say about Jason Peters. He's a first bout Hall of Famer, but he it's it's catching up to him. And I think so. The offensive line is bad. Uh, Lane is probably playing through injury. So uh, you've got guys in there like Wisniewski who, you know, he's okay. He, he is what he is. He's not very good. Kelsey goes out hurt. This is it's a bad situation. It's a bad situation to be in defensively and offensively. That's why I said I don't, I don't know how they win another game. Uh, I don't know. They don't have enough time to get healthy. Yep. And just, just to read it off, you got McLeod, Barnett, Ajay, Darby, Wallace, Hollins. Johnson was hurt for a minute. Clement was hurt for a minute. Sproles can't stay healthy. Mills is hurt. Jones, Kelsey, Douglas, Maddox, and our long snapper, Rick Lovato, all injured at some point in the season. Some out for the season. Some questionable for next week. The My question really is, did we lose this season before it even started? Because before the season even starts... Head athletic trainer for 19 seasons, Chris Peduzio, steps down. Then shortly after, head team physician, Dr. Peter DeLuga, and team internist, which is some sort of doctor, Dr. Gary, Gary Dorschner, also don't return after two decades with the birds. So that's three team doctors slash trainers who are no longer with the team on a short offseason after winning the Super Bowl, and quite frankly, a team that has a lot of older guys who are going to be injured and a lot of guys who are injury-prone from what we've seen. Yeah, it's really interesting. I I don't know what to think about that. Um, I haven't given it much thought, to be honest. To answer your question, no. I don't think that they lost... I don't think that they lost this season before the season started. I don't because I still believe firmly that this team is far too talented to, for what's happening on the field right now. There's too much, there's far too much talent. Are injuries playing a factor? Yes. But we saw this team excel to the highest level last year with, with injuries playing a a, a big factor. So I don't think they last season they had guys to step up at this point. The guys who have stepped or who have tried to step up. I mean, a guy like Maddox 
last season would have been classified as somebody who stepped up in times of need. He's now out, so you have another guy stepping up, and they just don't have that kind of depth for four deep to step up. Well, that's fair. I, I think that's fair. Two, I think right now it's a difference between right now and I, a couple weeks ago when 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 we weren't we're not when we aren't we're not a couple weeks ago was a much different story than where we are right now. We're, we're, we're literally just throwing out you and me out there to play cornerback. So, but this this poor play has been since the start of the season. So arguably after that first game against the Falcons. So something I I, I just think that that the team. It's not about talent, right? It's not about talent. It's about uh, coaching. It's about attitude, effort, readiness, preparation. A lot of those things, I think, came together to play the perfect storm against a team that maybe maybe it's fair to say they weren't ready for this. Maybe it's fair to say they weren't ready for this. Uh, what do you call it? Responsibility? Level of, right, level of success or responsibility. Or, uh, you know, I don't know. I said, you know, we said... I said before they thrived under that underdog uh, mentality last year, and you're seeing a totally different team that has to carry that flag on, of Super Bowl champion on their back, and they have just they've fallen flat on their face for a number of reasons. And yeah, uh, maybe maybe they just weren't ready. I mean, perhaps I I I don't like to think that um, it's kicking yourself in the foot or really. Um, setting yourself back by declaring that this is the new norm because obviously when you win a title, you're at the highest of highs and you're just going to say that you're going to win more championships. Just like Chase Utley said they were going to win like 9,000 championships and never won another World Series. It's kind of natural inclination to make absurd or just really set the bar high for winning championships in the future. And I think Doug might have set them back with that. It, it really seems like a statement that took a team who lived off the underdog status to a team that has to carry the, quote, new norm. Perhaps they weren't ready for the new norm. I mean, clearly they weren't ready for the new norm because the new norm is non-existent. This is not a dynasty. We're, we're sitting here questioning the future of this franchise New England has never questioned the future of their franchise until their quarterback magically stops being magnificent at age 49, 50. Whenever he decides to finally retire, that's when that team might worry. But we win one championship. I think that's what's so bothersome about it is that is that the talent level is, is arguably coming into the season, the talent level was was better. So I think that's what's crazy about this is that the talent level was the talent pool was deeper. We you know they made additions that were better. So it's just you know, and you you, you look at the the turnovers. So they they I think they have the least amount of turnovers in the league. Um, it's just they're not getting bounces. They they're not they're not things aren't just are not going the Eagles' way this year. It's just not their season. So. Do I think that the talent is still there? Yes, I do. I still think that this team can come back and next year and vie for the for the East. I do. Carson Wentz, not his season either, and you're seeing it out there. Um, he doesn't. I'm trying to find out whether uh, just and, and it might be hard to ascertain this just by watching, but I'm trying to find out if 
he is off or if they are putting him into a certain game plan and not allowing him to roll out. Or, I mean, yesterday it looked like he was trying to throw inside of a phone booth and sidearming throws and just making poor decisions. And it's just, that's just not Carson. So I don't, I don't know if he's being told like, Hey, you need to not run around out there. Or if, if he's just not the same guy, I mean, and I don't mean that like not the same guy as he was because coming back from an ACL injury is a serious thing. So I think it's also fair for us to, to question our thought process coming into the season. Did we expect too much from this guy after coming back from a major knee injury where he was out of football? And, and is he thinking about that when he's out there, you know, and I'll say this one more thing, but I was thinking about this earlier and I was, I was putting it in terms of like baseball terms, right? So imagine you're, you know, I, I bat righty. So uh, imagine uh, I'm taking a, I'm swinging at a pitch and my plant leg is my, my right foot. Right. So, um, I get into my swing, I, I, I contort my body, and my right Achilles snaps, okay? Now I've got to come back from that all next year, and I rehab for a whole year, and I come back. And am I not going to be thinking about that every time I plant my right leg to bat? Is, is, my, is my swing ever going to be the same again? I don't know. You know, it's, it's interesting to think about. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to think about. I don't know if that affects him, though, because he, I mean, he tells the media that it doesn't affect him, and it really doesn't look like it affects him when he's doing Superman dives over the first down marker on, on scrambles. To me, I'm more concerned that we might have put him up on a higher pedestal based off of one good season. I mean, his first season was not overly spectacular. We saw flashes of greatness, but he went on a really hot streak last season. It wasn't a full season, and I don't know if we can base an entire fran- – Not obviously, he's our franchise quarterback, but I don't know if we can declare him to be a top three, top four quarterback without seeing more results, you know? There just hasn't been enough. This is his second attempt at a full season, and what I'm seeing is accuracy issues. I'm seeing a guy that – tends to force the ball sometimes that Nelson pick should not have happened you simply can't be throwing the ball up if you're not going to make a smart throw and yeah it's it's harsh to pick at little things like that and and the stats look really good at times but stats don't always translate to greatness and I know a lot of quarterbacks who had great flashes I mean there's times where Matthew Stafford looks great the Russell Wilson looks great at times I mean he's won a Super Bowl and whatnot but Aaron Rodgers looks great. All those guys look great, but they don't have multiple Super Bowls. Yeah. He, there's there's concern to be had with Carson. I don't think we can say that there isn't. I think a lot of people, and even I, to an extent, have resisted coming down on him because, you know, like I said, his stats looked really good. And he was really kind of the only thing you could look at and say was like a positive. So... But now I think we have to start questioning what's going on there. Again, I think a lot of it is play calling. I, I do think a lot of it is play calling, but he is is not making the plays either. He's not making the throws. He's not making the decisions that we've come to see from him, the good decisions. So there's concern there with Carson. There, There is concern. And part of me just wants to say, you know what, dude, young quarterback, brush it off. 
brush off the rest of the season, just come back strong next year. But I kind of feel like we're watching the rest of the season to see if he can come out of this a little bit and play some good football. Because if not, if he continues to play at a low level the rest of the season, if if his play continues to decline, holy moly. I mean, we're really going to have a lot to talk about. Yeah, that would be the ultimate state of panic. And it's been hard to bite your tongue or just keep bite your lip. Is that what I'm thinking? Whatever, just stay quiet about it because there's been thoughts about Carson not being as great as we all think he is for a little while now, and it's it's finally coming out as the entire team starts to crumble. Uh, real quickly, Justin, I know uh, we haven't explicitly said it. Is the season officially a wash? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't like to use that term, but I, I think that – I mean, like I said, I, I have a hard time finding how they're going to win another game. So to me, they're going to be in a 5-11, and 6-10 and 10 team if the play continues this way. Now, if they somehow find a way to turn things around, I don't see that happening. But if they somehow find a way to turn things around, sure, anything's possible. You just have to get to 9-7. and seven. So that's just four more games. They have how many more? Six. They have six more. Or, I'm sorry, they have five more games. So you'd have to go four and one down the stretch. So, I mean... No, they're not going to do that. This season is, uh, by all accounts, uh, over. And uh, we just have to kind of see where the chips fall in terms of the draft. And like I said, I'm watching to see if Carson's play continues to either get better or get worse because that's going to ramp up the level of concern that I have for the offseason. certainly is. Uh, we've based a franchise around a kid out of North Dakota. So that's a lot to throw on someone's shoulders. And it seems like it seemed as if he was strong enough to handle that, but there certainly are questions. And as a ticket holder to the Monday night game against the Redskins, I like to think that miracles will happen and that somehow that game will be meaningful and every other game after that will be meaningful. And there's still a chance, but at this point, all we're doing is trying to win the NFC East to go get stomped on by the Saints again. So I, it's just really hard to even want to make the playoffs because this is not a team that seems as if they can make any sort of run. And on that note, we're just going to call it quits on the Eagles for tonight. Try and, uh, try and keep the negativity at a minimum because the entire city of Philadelphia it's we're concerned. I mean, this team's our life. Every weekend we watch them, even if they crush our hearts and our souls. Every single Sunday, we will continue to watch them and support them. And I can, I can guarantee that no matter what, we'll have their backs. But you saw Dwayne Casey get knocked out of Toronto. There's just in this day and age, there's a hot seat, and it's easy to forget very quickly. Um, and that's just kind of how it is. So we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. Around the league, real quickly, um, Adam Schefter reported, I believe it was yesterday or two days ago, that uh, former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice was on the list of Cleveland Brown uh, head coaching interviewee candidates. Dude, stop. Um, both, stop. both parties deny it now. But I, I'm just amazed because Adam Schefter is the one who reported it. It's, it's not, not like exactly. it was some deadbeat guy. It's Adam Schefter. And typically 
what Shefty says goes. Uh, I'm just I'm laughing so hard because I just I can't believe none. Not only are we talking about this, but it's actually like a legit bona fide rumor. And if anybody other than like Schefter had reported it, you'd be like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But it's it's still the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But it's like you almost have to you almost have to think the Browns are actually they, they actually put that out there legitimately because Shefty doesn't report things that are fake. What in the hell is going on in Cleveland if that is an actual rumor that they put out there on purpose? And I mean, Dorsey makes a statement about it and basically says, you know, Condoleezza Rice is a great leader, possesses the highest possible character and also is a Browns fan and that he like admires her and stuff, but that she's has not been discussed. But he never explicitly says like, she won't be discussed in the future. So Schefter has sources. Maybe they're not willing to come out right now, but th- it could just, it could be something that gets Cleveland on the map for the Browns. Like Hugh Jackson did it in the worst way. Perhaps Condoleezza Rice could save this. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you think I'm crazy for actually having a small belief that this could be a good thing for the Cleveland Browns? Like, uh, Honestly, I don't even know what to think about this. I mean, this is either the greatest troll job of all time or this is actually like a legit thing. I just feel like somebody's messing with us. Like, it's, I feel like I'm back in eighth grade where, where someone told me that Stone Cold Steve Austin was coming back tonight. And I'm like, that's not true. He's been out for like a year, dude. Come on. Like, and then all of a sudden the glass breaks and he starts walking down <laughs> and it's like, oh my God. So I don't know. I don't know what to think. This is just the most bizarre thing. And it was like the last thing I wanted to see like after the Eagles lost. I was like, this is, this is stupid. What is going on here? It's like they're troll. They're just trying to troll everybody. It's like get lost, Cleveland. Jesus. Yeah, I'm. I'm still waiting for Schefter to say something about it because, I mean, that's the only thing that just blows my mind. Is that Adam Schefter is the one who reported it, but who knows? I I saw somewhere that somebody said she'd be better off as commissioner, and quite frankly. Perhaps that's worth an effort, but for now, the NFL is kind of a shit show. Uh, the Eagles are a shit show. The Browns are a shit show. It's just, it's wild out there, folks. It is wild out there. We're going to transition now uh, very quickly to the hottest football team in Philadelphia. That is the Temple Owls. So the Temple Owls, with an incredible comeback, they are trailing 17 to nothing at halftime against the South Florida Bulls. This game looked to be a bigger game earlier in the season. Now South Florida's gone a little bit downhill and Temple needed some help out of UC, I'm sorry, out of Cincinnati to beat UCF in the nightcap, but going into this game, Temple still had a chance to make the American Athletic Conference Championship. They're down 17 nothing and half. They came out flat just like the Birds, but unlike the Eagles, the Owls came storming back in the third quarter, starting with a Ryquell Armstead one-yard touchdown run. They get a field goal, a field goal, make it 17-13, and then with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter, Isaiah Wright changes everything. And this is what this kid is good for. He is magnificent in special teams. Occasionally, he will make a bad play. Occasionally, there will be a fumble. 
But this type of 73-yard punt return for a touchdown to take the lead in a game that is a must-win on senior day at the link. It shows his pure talent and his playmaking ability. Isaiah Wright, shout out to you. Temple pulls off the win 27-17 with 27 unanswered points. And that is an incredible feat. Anthony Russo didn't have a great day, but it wasn't terrible. He was 20 of 34 for 264 with no touchdowns and an interception. Reichwell Armstead on senior day goes 26 for 64 yards and a touchdown. Not quite the sixth like last week, but still a fine performance in his last chance at the link. Isaiah Wright, like I said, returned that touchdown. And my gosh, that Temple defense was ferocious with three fumble recoveries, including a fumble recovery returned for a touchdown with just minutes left in the fourth quarter. Temple Owls are absolutely the hottest football team in Philadelphia, no doubt. They're the hottest football team possibly in the state of Pennsylvania right now. And they are, they've set themselves up for a decent bowl game. The year started out 0-2 and you really didn't think they were going anywhere. Pull off a couple very nice wins, a tough loss at UCF, but they performed great. And then they come back strong against Houston and South Florida. Last game of the season is coming up Saturday at 3.30 at UConn. If they can pull off that win, the Owls will finish 8-4, 7-1 in the conference if they win that game. And they're set to face Georgia Tech in the Military Bowl in Annapolis. That's not a bad draw. You get to play an ACC competition, get a win against that team. You've made your mark. And I think Anthony Russo coming into next year, we're losing uh, Ryquel Armstead and a few others. It's going to be a tough fill. Those shoes are definitely going to be tough to fill. But Anthony Russo is ready to take this team to the next level, starting with UConn next week and then hopefully facing a solid opponent in the military bowl or wherever they do end up. But cheers to Temple football. Y'all make me proud. Coach Collins, uh, I must say I did not know if I believed in him after those first two games, but Coach Collins picking up right where Matt Rule left off. The future's bright for Temple football. Folks, be ready. It's going to be a great year next season and great way to end this year. Nova, they won 42-21 over Delaware. Penn State won 20-7 over Rutgers. Justin is not with me right now. Otherwise, I'm sure he'd have something to say about that. But good for Justin. They won 20-7. I'm all right with that. It's Rutgers. They're borderline Division II. But now, it's time for Philly Pros. We focus on my Temple boys in the NFL, starting with Sharif Finch, Tennessee at Indiana. They lost 38-10, not without Sharif getting three tackles and one forced fumble. Matt Ioannidis in that Washington loss versus the Texans, 23-21. He had three tackles. Keith Kirkwood hurt the birds, man. New Orleans beats the Eagles 48-7, and Keith had three receptions for 33 yards. Jacob Martin getting some action for Seattle in a win against Green Bay 27-24. He got a sack in that game, and it's good to see Jacob getting some minutes after starting the season on the bench. He's finally seeing the field. Tyler Matakavich. Pittsburgh at Jacksonville. They win 20-16. He gets a tackle, and remember... 
We picked Jalen Mills over that guy who has more heart and soul than the entire Eagles team put together. Brandon McManus, he's a Super Bowl champ. I repeat, a Super Bowl champ. Denver at the Chargers. They win 23-22 on the leg of, you guessed it, Brandon McManus, 34-yard game-winning field goal, 2 of 2 from extra point. Hassan Reddick in a loss for the Cardinals against Oakland, 23-21. He had three tackles to hear Whitehead. Picked up the win in that game, 23-21. He had seven tackles and rounding out your Temple Philly pros. Tavon Young of Baltimore. They beat Cincinnati 24-21. He gets two tackles. It's great to see the Owls playing well. And now we are moving on to the Philadelphia 76ers. And really, Jimmy Butler, enough said. After this first few Appearances with Butler, his name, Jimmy Buckets. That's all you got to say. Jimmy, period, Buckets, period. I mean, dude, that was awesome this past watching that game against the Hornets. Like, you're just sitting there watching the whole time. You're like, come on, here we go. And again, with another tight game with Charlotte. Like, come on. And then Jimmy Butler, can he win it here? It is Butler for the win. Yes! Butler buries the three with three tenths of a second to go. Hornets without any timeouts. And the Sixers win it! Wow! Like, I mean, I couldn't scream because my daughter was asleep, but I was silently fist pumping the (laughs) heck out of my hand, dude. I was like jumping up and down in my living room. I was like, yes! That was, that was awesome. That was, that, was, cool. that was the coolest thing I have seen in a long time on this Sixers squad. And in a season that, I mean, the record's not that bad. 11-7 and seven is not a bad place to be early in the season. But there have just been things that have been a concern. Some coaching question marks. Uh, a poor play from Ben. But for some reason, that one shot just revitalized and refreshed me to believe that this team could do magic. No pun intended because they did not do the magic very well. They lost to the magic, but this team could do magical things this season. Well, I think it definitely showed you, you know, that's the reason why they got him, right? You put the ball in the hands of a, of a star player and you let a star player win the game for you. And that's what he did. And it's no slight to anybody on the Sixers you know, especially Joel or Ben, but, you know, do you have any faith that if you put the ball in any of their hands that they, they would have got that done? I don't think so. Um, number one, Ben doesn't shoot. And, you know, number, number two, you put it in Joel's hands, he's probably going to get double teamed. So, you know, JJ, you know, JJ might've probably could have made that shot too, but it was, it, you just, you, you didn't three weeks ago, you didn't have that third star player who you could turn to, and say, given the ball when it mattered the most, and he can win you a game. So the, the Sixers now have another guy who they can turn to to win him a game. So it's it's just awesome. It's just awesome. And Jimmy, and, and, and from, from what you can gather from him, he loves it here. He was saying how much he loved the Sixers theme song, like when he would come and play here uh, as, a, as a, you know, an away opponent. So... It's just pretty cool to hear that, and I think I he, mean, he really how enjoys can, being here. Yeah. How can you not love the Philadelphia 76ers theme song? Can we get Nothing. it on right now? Let's put it on. Let's get it. it. It's such a good song. 
Just keep, just bring on the wins. Keep bringing on the wins. Play the songs, man. My God, like, it must have been electric in that building after they beat the Jazz. I, I wish I was there, but that, that song for the first time after Jimmy Buckets drops 28 and goes 80% from the field, like, that is one hell of a, it's not a homecoming, I guess, but it's like, welcome to Philly, bro. Welcome to Philly. I'm Jimmy Buckets, and I am your new daddy. I own this city. And I know that people were were worried after, like, he didn't have a great game against the Magic, but, you know, no one else really did either. I think that was the game where he scored 12 points or something like that. So, but this this guy's a player, man. I mean, and, and he, and, and I think he's going to make everyone else better around him. You know, Ben had a really good game against Charlotte the other night, too. You know, we, we both were kind of texting back and forth saying, man, if this is what Ben Simmons is, you know, he had two games, the, the Jazz game and um, the the Magic game, he had less than 10 points in both of those games. And I think we were, I was, and at least I was worried. I was like, man, if this is what Ben Simmons is, we need more, you know? And I, and Ben came out to his credit and had a really nice game against the Hornets. I saw him actually be, I saw him be aggressive, you know, taking, you know, getting into the lane and, um, you know, just taking more chances. And- yeah. That's, that's really what we talked about. I, I know I, we were texting back and forth, like you said, and, the one thing is it looked so nice to see Ben actually be aggressive. And I think there was like one or two takes in the jazz game where it was like, this is vintage Ben. This is what I need to see more. But taking less than 10 shots in each of those games, like Ben Simmons needs to take more than 10 shots a game. And there's enough love to go around with that basketball to get Jimmy Buckets, Joel and Ben enough shots that they can each put up 15 to 20 a night. One I think was telling what Brett said too in, in one of his pressers. He said, you know, ben, he's a six ten unicorn. You know, six ten point guards don't grow on trees. So yes, they're they're trying to make a six ten guy play point guard. It's not normal. It's it's very uncommon. But he's he's proven that he can do it, but he has to adopt some of those other point guard attributes like shooting and not just wanting to he's too content, I think, to just dish and get out to the perimeter and kind of just watch the action. That's not what you need from Ben Simmons. You need Ben Simmons to get in there. You need Ben Simmons to score. You need Ben Simmons uh, to, to frankly, just to be Ben Simmons. And, uh, you know, I think when he tries to play that passive aggressive style, it hurts the team because then the, the, you know, the defense is able to key up on Joel. And when you have a really good defensive team, it makes it really hard on the shooters. So you really need Ben to get in there and, and create havoc because those three guys, Joel, Jimmy Butler, and Ben, when they're all on, you cannot guard all three of those guys and guard guy like a guy like JJ Reddick. You can't do it. No, you absolutely can't. And Wilson Chandler also kind of he played well in his minutes for the most part. I don't really know why they had Muscala in um, in the fourth quarter in a few of those games. I felt like the starting five was the most productive unit uh, that we've seen all season and. Joel's putting up MVP numbers, uh, dropped 19 in the Orlando game, 23 against the Jazz, and 33 against the Hornets. So he's going to keep putting up shots. I really like that he is um, consistently hitting most of his free throws. He went 8 of 9 in that Jazz game and 13 of 14 against the Hornets. And the Jimmy Butler-JJ Redick uh, connection that we have going on, that I mean, JJ has really stepped up as a leader and elevated everybody's game on his own. But Jimmy and 
JJ seem to have a little sort of bromance going on, which kind of gets me going because I love JJ Redick more than most people in Philadelphia do. I know uh, they're starting to warm up to him now, but I've been a JJ fan for years upon years. And seeing him kind of take this team and be a coach player who really... he I mean, he's putting up numbers. He's putting up 22, 23 points a game, but he's also that coach on the floor who keeps everybody grounded and organized. And I love what he said to Jimmy too. I love, I love um, that he, you know, he said, I, I bet you won't take that shot or I bet you won't ask for the ball, whichever, whatever the, the, the statement was that he made to him, like in the game. I love that. I, I just love that they, you know, he kind of sort of challenged them to take the game over and Jimmy's and Jimmy did it. And the, the look that they gave each other, he was yelling, oh, you yeah. won't do it. You won't do it. It was awesome. It was awesome. You know, and I, I agree with you on JJ Redick. I'm a big fan of JJ Redick. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't be. And I, I've been a, 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 a big fan of him starting games. Um, I've been, I, I wanted him to start, you know, even going back to, uh, you know, the beginning of the season. I don't know how you can't love what he's doing out there. You know, he he's he's doing everything that the Sixers need him to do. He's he's clutch shooting. He's great from the free throw line. Plays pretty solid defense. You know, he had some, he had a bad game against the Magic where he stepped out of bounds and and had that that bad offensive foul late in the game. So, you know, hey, every, that happens to everybody, but you know what? JJ Redick has been a rock for this team this year. No, he absolutely has, and it's it's quite obvious that he is starving for an NBA championship, and he believes that Philadelphia is the best place that it can happen, and bringing in Jimmy Butler, uh, he might just be that piece. Real quickly, Markel Fultz, what's going on with him? I know like the free throws aren't looking good. There were some tweets out about, I, I think to dumb it down, it was saying that his mind is trying to alter his shot so that he won't feel pain, but there's not actually pain to be felt. Is that along the lines of what those tweets were saying? So I know I, sh- yeah, I shared this with you, right? So we both saw the free throw, right? Like he, he does that little juggling act as he brings the ball up over his head and then shoots instead of doing just like a normal hitch motion. So I found, and I happened to come across these tweets um, for this doctor, Dr. Rajpal Brar, DPT, doctor of physical therapy. So I, I mean, he doesn't have a blue check mark or anything, but he seemed like he knew what he was talking about. And he's, he goes on to say, you know, what Markel is doing here is changing the context of his free throw motion and circumventing the conditioned hitch response. When dealing with chronic pain and neurocognitive pain loops, a common and effective technique is to add a novel stimulus like this. So essentially what he's saying is that Markel at some point with that injured shoulder, you know, his brain became conditioned to the fact that he was experiencing pain when he would shoot. So adding that juggling motion in there is sort of tricking his brain. So he's still shooting a free throw, but he's tricking his brain into thinking that he's not shooting a free throw so that he doesn't get pain signals sent to his muscles. Does that make sense? Yeah. It just... I've just seen so many Markel theories, and every day there's a new breaking news. I figured it out on Twitter, and really, my last take on Markel for a while, I'm just going to sit back and let it happen. People are saying that the Sixers are done with him, whatever, but I still believe this kid's a 20-year-old kid. 
He's still figuring things out. It could be mental. It could be pain. If it's the pain thing, if it was some sort of injury that happened off the court that they're trying to keep secret, the kid's trying to play it off cool and he's doing a good job because we have no idea what's going on and where the injury came from. And if it's just a mental thing, the kid is 20 years old, 19, whatever he is, he is a kid. Jason Tatum, wonderful, same age. I guess he just peaked earlier. He's more comfortable, whatever. There is still so much time in his career for him to become a great player. And it's not like he suffered some sort of career-ending injury like Greg Oden did. He's not that kind of bust. It's too early to count out Markel. I think Jimmy Butler taking the heat off him right now is the best thing that can happen to him. Allow him to work on his game. He's still getting solid minutes. And then allow Butler, you got Redick, Joel, Ben, all these guys working out the games and allowing Markell to grow. That's my last take on him. You know, I was quick to jump on the he's a bust. And I'm not happy that they took him one. I'm not happy that they did that. I didn't think he was the best player. I thought there were red flags coming out of college that his Washington team could not even make the tournament. But regardless... It's time to stop talking about him. It's time to stop putting the pressure on him. As Philadelphia fans, we should allow the kid to grow and enjoy the product that we have on the court right now that can help us win right now. I don't disagree with that. I, I, I do think that you know, that's, that's what comes along with being a first overall pick. Um, what I will say is that you know, down the road, if, if, if we reach the end of the season or even in the beginning of next season and he's still a 20-minute off the bench player that is not to me that's not what a first overall pick should be so i i do have concerns if if he's not going to blossom <clears throat> excuse me into either this team's starting number two or their starting point guard i what what are we going to do with him because that's a first overall pick he has to turn out into something he can't be a bench player you can't have a first overall pick be a bench player so my question is what are they going to do with him i'm fine right now if they continue to give him some some sheltered minutes and and have him come off and spell ben that's fine but I, he can't be ben's backup forever so they have to figure out how to get him on the court at the same time. Yes, this kid has some weird things going on. He's got a weird thing going on with his free throw. I think he is a little bit weird in the head. You know, I don't mean that as like a bad thing, but I, he's just a different dude. You know, you see him out there doing weird stuff on the court. So I don't know what there is to that, but I I don't know if if it's if it's affecting his play or if this kid's going to be a bust. I don't know that yet. I, I, don't, I certainly don't think he's going to be a bust because we've both seen things him do do some really nice things out there. So I just need him to be a first overall pick, and I don't know if he is that right now. Yeah, and well, you know we'll we'll close out on the Sixers. Uh, it's just time will tell with Fultz. I know one thing that I think, and it's not really something he can control, is that the Sixers chose. To go for him at number one overall, I mean, he he can't really control that the Sixers made a stupid pick in picking him number one overall. So I think if, if there's any blame to be shifted, it should be on the front office and all of the, all of the folks who went into selecting him, but that's going to get you nowhere. So I guess that my mindset is just we need to twist this positively, at least for this season, now that we have so much going for us, we need to chill with the Markel theories because... 
It was Jimmy Butler's first game when another uh, podcast had, or somebody, I don't know who it was. There was just this big thing on Twitter that there was a new conspiracy in the Markel saga. And that's just not what you need when Jimmy Butler is suiting up for his first game as a 76er. But only time will tell. And right now the Sixers are losing to the 3-12 and Phoenix Suns 65-60. to So maybe falling behind in the third quarter will allow them to go on a run in the fourth quarter for once in a blue moon. I will provide an update tomorrow before posting this on the final score. And I will insert it right here. There you go, Justin. That was uh, that was quite an ending to that game. I can't believe it turned out the way that it did. We're about to wrap up flying high for this week. Uh, to anybody who did not want to listen to us whine about the Eagles for 90% of the podcast, I'm sorry, but you're probably not a true Philadelphian because most of Philadelphia is only whining about the Eagles, but we're going to incorporate a new segment real quickly. This is called Now You Know, and it's where we take a news story, whether it be sports or not, and we're going to tell you something that we probably assume you don't know. So this week's Now You Know comes out of Washington, and we're Eagles fans here. We don't like the Redskins, but nobody ever wants to see what happened to Alex Smith happen And it is so eerie because 33 years ago on Sunday, Joe Theismann, who was the former Washington quarterback, uh, it it was that moment where Lawrence Taylor from the Giants sacked him in 1985 and broke his ankle. I'm sorry, broke his leg. And it was like watching the same thing happen on the same field on the same day, 33 years in the future. That That's just, it's so eerie to think about that. And Theismann said that he, he didn't, he looked away when that injury happened and he, he felt so bad for Alex Smith. And as somebody who, like I said, roots against the Redskins, Alex Smith is someone who I admire because he overcame a lot of adversity. He was kind of doubted as an early pick and it wasn't working in San Francisco at first and He went to Kansas City, had some success, and he moves on to Washington. And I hate seeing him play well for Washington, but I like seeing him play well. So this injury really hurts, and it really is proof that history repeats itself. And it's so, so eerie that it happened 33 years ago on that day. But now you know. Now you know, 33 years ago. History repeats itself. So in 33 years from now, you do not want to be a Washington Redskins quarterback because you're probably going to break your leg. But in all seriousness, best wishes go out to Alex Smith. I hope he has a quick recovery. I hope he comes back. I hope he goes to a team that is not the Redskins and has great success. Justin, that is going to be it for the show. We have one last segment to do. It's nice to bring it back. This is the minute to win it where I let you know what's going on around the world. The sports world, that is. Real quickly, this is my minute to win it. 
The Chiefs and the Rams were in a race to 100. They show us what the future of football is. The Seahawks still went at home. The boys beat the Falcons in the battle of the overprotective owners. G-Men actually win. The Texans might be the hottest team in the league. The Jags are toast. Bengals are fading. Johnny Gruden tanks at tanking. The Bears rule the North. Bills, Browns, Dolphins, Pats, Jets, Niners. Bye-bye-bye. Bama rolls. Clemson rolls. That's a title rematch. Notre Dame stomps. Michigan stomps. That's going to be a semifinal game of a loser. Okay, State spoils another team's season. Ohio State barely escapes UCF. Still unbeaten. Florida State shocks Golden Eagles. Tiger and Phil have a $200,000 side bet. That little birdie hole one. JR out of Cleveland. Turmoil in Golden State. Washington falling apart. Duke Fab 5 Part 2. Nah, I'm not hyping up ESPN stuff. Nova out of the top 25. Temple Hoops 5 and 1. Fartgate clouds. Dartgate. NASCAR is still a sport. I went 1 and 2 in fantasy this week. And done! There we go. That is another minute to win it. The first of the Flying High variety. I hope you enjoyed the show tonight, guys. Justin, thank you so much. I'm not going to have a brain fart tonight and stop talking. I'm just going to thank you because I appreciate your efforts every week. Well, it's nice to be appreciated. I, <laughs> I, thank, I thank you for uh, for having me on. As always, Justin, that is him. I am Pete. We are saying goodbye Hopefully next week we're talking about an Eagles victory over the Giants. Sixers playing well. We'll see. Send requests. Play us out. Make our day great. <laughs>